Miss Lisa, just for listeners that are tuning in that may not know who I am. Uh, my name is Brian Little. I am a uh, 2006-2010 U.S. Navy sailor. Uh, that means I've been honorably discharged and I've spent the last 10 years teaching education. Uh, but what I'm doing is I'm bringing a, another perspective that's not just the Air Force base that Miss Lisa has spoken about many times. Because the truth is, this is an all-around every branch has this going on there. Every branch has their good and their bad, but I will, I will tell you this. Um, there are, there is an element to leadership in the Navy or in any branch where most of the time, if you are in leadership, you get to hide behind your ranking. I say that because I have seen several instances and I have seen um, others have sent me confirmations. I won't disclose who they are, uh, just because they're, they're, they're important to me. And it's kind of one of those now that I've been out for a long time and I don't have any, um, restrictions on me or anything that could possibly punish me. I'll just go ahead and put it out there is the, when you could, when you mix male and female in any branch, there is always a higher uh, possibility of um, perversion and promiscuity and many other things that happen. And it's it's just a shame, but it's a reality. Uh, one, for instance, was on my ship uh, in 2008, 2009, I can't remember exactly where, our master at arms on our, the what's called the chief master at arms, the MAC, I guess you can call it the sheriff of the ship. She did commit suicide. And I always kind of believed that the ceremony was was treated well. The family was treated well, but we on the ship were kind of given this um, unspoken mentality of pick your chin up and move on. We weren't really able to embrace, you know, a lot more about. It. It's more like today's another day. The plan of the day continues, and her memory is nowhere in here. Um, and I know that sounds harsh, but there's truth. And and very much in reality, I had a friend who told me uh, through other messages that we've talked over the times that the other officer who was above her very much brought the worst out of her because he was in the simplest of terms, a sexist. And she can confirm things that he used to say to women who were on our ship, who would work in the, the hull of the ship because everybody that was an engine man of any kind worked in the hull of the ship at some point uh, in oil laps and things like that. They, they had to make water. They had to, you know, wipe the engines and keep everything running efficiently. And if you were a female in there, one of the things he was confirmed saying, and I quote was, you look tired. I would let you come sleep in my rack, AKA my bed on the ship. But I understand right. you only sleep, but I understand you only sleep with guys on green side. In other words, he's implying that these girls only sleep with the Marines and not the Navy guys because our ship was, I guess you can call a Marine taxi cab. I put it that way because it was a loading dock. We had Marines, sometimes 800 plus at a time, and we had about 300 plus sailors. And it is a black eye on our ship, and it shouldn't be. But that was a confirmed one of how she must have felt so inferior and so trapped and so beaten down by the lack of leadership thereof 
that she saw no other alternative. So when you when we speak of the suicides that have happened recently, this is one of many that continue in every branch. And I believe the statistic that came out from the uh, song uh, Five Finger Death Punch, Wrong Side of Heaven, I think they confirmed that a veteran takes their life every one every two hours or something to that degree. So that's one example of several that I have or have been discussed with other sailors and Marines over the years. And I know we talk about leadership a lot being an issue, and I am just failing to understand why why it continues at that level. You know, everyone thinks when you're in a leadership position, they're supposed to be people that, you know, subordinates can trust. They're supposed to be the ones that are setting the example and there to be supportive. And yet a lot of these uh, horrible behaviors uh, that I- I've heard from a lot of other people that I've talked to and 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 you've, you know, given a really good example of of just that. I'm not excusing any branch of the military, but I'm going to give as best of an explanation as I can give. And one of the examples I give is because ultimately when you sign your name to whatever branch of the military you are, you take the oath of enlistment, you are agreeing for whatever the time period that you are there, that the most important thing is the mission. It's not the family. It's not your liberty your well-being number one and let me give you a perfect example of that as a navy sailor i can quote the navy sailor creed word for word for you right now and let's just kind of listen to it line for line i am a united states sailor i will support and defend the constitution of the united states and i will obey the orders of those appointed over me that's the first line let's continue I represent the fighting spirit of the Navy and those who have gone before me to defend freedom and democracy around the world. I proudly support my naval combat team with honor, courage, and commitment. I am committed to excellence and the fair treatment of all. Do you hear what was spoken last in that oath? Fair treatment of all takes a back seat in so many ways, to what it says at the top of the creed, and I will obey the orders of those appointed over me. So when people who become leaders, who probably shouldn't have been leaders in the first place, they are able to hide behind that stigma and hide behind their ranking, like I said earlier. Because on my ship, I will tell you, I had a senior chief who very much had a Napoleon complex. He was a short guy, and he ran his division in fear. So... The time that I was on the ship was probably one of the worst of the times that we experienced. I'd like to believe that because I recently looked at 2023 as the ship I used to serve on, the USS Pearl Harbor, God bless them, have returned from a deployment, and you can look at it on Facebook, and their anchor is painted gold. People don't realize that when an anchor on a ship is painted gold, that represents high retention. That means more people are staying in the military after serving on that ship than are leaving. There was never a time when I was on that ship that that anchor was painted gold. So I believe me and my shipmates lived through some of the absolute worst of times on that ship that should represent more than, and should represent 
you know, what the the symbols behind it and the courage and courageousness of our Pearl Harbor survivors, that's what it should represent. But we represented the worst of times in many ways because I have testimonies like this among many others. And you mentioned how there's so many people that shouldn't be in leadership positions. And I, I 100% agree with that. The response that I get from, from veterans and active duty is going back to the buddy system. Did you feel like you saw that in the Navy just as much? Well, first of or all, it's based gonna... off of, you know, what, yeah. Yeah, it kind of, let me put it this way. The, the diplomatic answer would be that when you pass the tests that you can be promoted to E4, E5, you still get a paper test that you would take to move on okay. to whatever your rate is. Like if you were a engineman or a culinary specialist or a storekeeper, I'm just naming off, ran off a few names from the ship quartermaster, then you would be given a test. And when you pass that, that usually promotes you. But it's kind of one of those, if you start to pull the curtain back, you can see people that are on the cusp of it, or even though if they're not passing the tests, whatever it is, if they get in with the right crowd and get the right recommendations, it's possible. Because I saw many times when we would do inspections on our ship and all these, these visiting people who would come and watch us do whatever our stuff was. I couldn't remember that at this point the acronym of what it was called. It doesn't matter anymore. It's been so long. But let's say we had people come and inspect in our ship on how we run our mess decks or how we run our pier or how, you know, how, however we run the internal workings of the ship and people would come and inspect it just like any other job does in the corporate world. You, you get ready for things like that. In education, we get sure. ready for evaluations from our principals. And but I will tell you, when I would see that happen, I would notice quickly who was trying to bring sodas to people who, you know, have a drink and get everybody settled and situated, trying to make themselves be look be and posture themselves in many ways, you would quickly see who it was. And you knew that that was disingenuous because they want to be promoted to the next ranking. So part right. of it is the test, but there's also that other, if you can't pass it, if you get in with the right crowd, there's possible promotions that could happen in not just the enlisted side, but also in the officer side. And I couldn't tell you the inner workings of that because I was a guy who put my head down and did my job. And of course I got out after four years because I wanted to go back to school and take it seriously the second time. So I had different right. ambitions, but that would be my answer. It is it's, it's a little bit of both, but people that you can be resentful, but you can also put two and two together and go, did this person really deserve to be promoted? Hmm, I question that. Right. And I, and I guess the reason why I, I bring that up is because I feel like they need to start looking at who they are promoting and are they really qualified for the job? Are they really, like you said, are they there to really support the people that work under them? Or are they just about their rank and their, the power that comes with that? Um, and that, that just, that kind of reminded me a little bit of that when you were talking about that. And it's, yeah. And that kind of allows me to expound on something that you say that too. Yeah. Before, before I left the military about 2010, I won't go into every detail. Cause again, I kind of kept out of other people's business. I just did my job. 
knew what I wanted to do and, and go back home. But I do remember one guy got into some type of trouble. And you you mentioned um, what boards they go for. I think that's true in the Navy once you hit chief. I believe that's the truth. That would be the equivalent uh, for E7 would be chief. Then you have okay. senior chief. Then you have master chief. So the Navy has a little bit of those different terminologies. Instead of a general, you'd have an admiral. But but I really I remember a guy who was an E4 and whatever whatever trouble he got into got him all the way through up to what's called captain's mass. So let me kind of help you out. Here's how it works if you get in trouble on a ship. For instance, a DUI. Let's put it out there. If you had a DUI, the first thing you'd get is you would go into the chief's mess, the CPO. And the chiefs would all tear you down and bark at you and yell at you and grill you and scream at you and cuss you out. And you kind of get broken down there. Then you have the second level, which is the executive officer. You have what's called executive officer's inquiry, XLY. And he basically would kind of go through what the charges were. And then usually he would be the guy who just said, okay, we need to figure out why you joined the Navy. You know, that's the first question they normally ask and go, you know, what, what did you think you'd accomplish with it? It's very much the, it's kind of the good cop, bad cop. You get the bad cop and you get the chewing out that happens on the chief level. Then you have the executive officer that's going off the paperwork, on the, you know, and that's how it usually is. Then you have captain's mast. Sometimes it's not severe enough to where they don't have, you can go back to your own division and worry about it. Usually a DUI would go straight and would be captain's mast. So by the time you're to the top one, you've already been cut down to size. And now you're standing before the captain who gives out your verdict. And that could be 30 days restricted to the ship, however many days uh, of cut pay. That's one of them too, where you could have less pay and extra duties that you'd have to do. That was one of them. And, you know, I never got went through one of those, but sometimes I'd be called in to speak for, on somebody's behalf for a witness because I'm a lower ranking. Why? Because I obey the orders of those appointed over me. I'm supposed to, I'm a witness. Now I'm guilty by association of whatever it might be. But let's just take that. This guy went all the way up, got captain's mask, and then he was demoted back down, I guess, to E3 Seaman, and he's back in our birthing area. And I still remember him saying this as plain as day to this day. He said, well, now I'm guaranteed to make chief. Here's what that means. He's got a blot on his record. If he tried to get out and get a job, this could keep him from having a, quote, honorable discharge, or at least that's been what's threatened to him. He would have a general discharge or less of some type of less than honorable. So he might as well right. stay in. And that means as the time comes around, when he becomes chief, he gets to be the one who sits in the chief's mess when somebody else who commits the same crime slash misbehavior slash uh, reprimanding that he went through. And he gets to be the one that's the giving instead of on the receiving end. And the vicious cycle just continues and continues and continues. It's something to think about. Oh yeah, it's, so the the tables definitely turn, and sometimes people get really resentful because they mm -hmm. think about what they went through, and then you know they might even punish someone even worse than what they went through exactly. just because. Yeah, and that and that's not a, that's not right either. But there's a there's a saying in the the Air Force as well, where they say. If you haven't been divorced, you haven't had a DUI, and you haven't 
uh, what was it? I'm totally forgetting about the third one, but there's a third one. So it's basically three types of offenses or life, um, ex um, negative life experiences or events in your life, like divorce. They all just say, well, now you're, you're set up to become at least a master sergeant, if not senior, because e yep. everyone goes through that. Mm -hmm. And so wrong to think about it that way, but there is kind of, when you mentioned those, these groups or these almost like cliques, they mm -hmm. almost kind of applaud, applauded to an extent. And they, they almost uh, uh, praise it's it a in a mentality. sense like, oh, hey, you there's a check that we can check off on your um on your military experience and now you've got yeah. your divorce now you or you got your DUI you're good to go and it's never someone actually saying hey this is not the way we want service members to go this is this is not healthy this is not an okay mentality to have it's not going to get you anywhere it should not be a goal to reach those quote unquote milestones my own memories of me exiting the military are all coming back because uh -huh. one, when you are given what's called your TAPS class, it might last a week at most. And the information given to you, it might as well be a hot pocket in a microwave kind of mentality. You're given a whole lot of stuff and going, make do with it where you can. And they did not provide me a plane ticket home that came out of my pocket. Um, I'm sure if I had pulled enough strings, I could have found a way, but you know, they, they flew me out there to my command for sure. But on the way back, they're a lot stingier. Um, and I can also tell you that when I did get home, because I was leaving at the time, my ship was about to go on a six month deployment. It just kind of happened that way. It was like, that was my date to be out was June 21st. And you're usually given a 30 day transition to go back home and either get you a job or go back to college or go into a trade or whatever the case is or decide you want to go back to the military you're kind of given that waiting period when you get home it's usually or at least when i was in it was usually 30 days and so i was given my 30 days of leave to go home and i also remember when i checked the mail and i looked in the mail and it was a brown manila envelope and it was my records from San Diego, how they just kind of thrown them all into a thing, into a uh, manila envelope and just said, here's your stuff back. There is no thank you for your time. I was not given any uh, type of uh, um, of plaque of any kind or something I can put in a picture frame of any time. It just says on online and on paper that I'm out with an honorable discharge. But no, that's how I was given my boot swift kick in the rear end boot. Uh, and boot and the back in and out the door uh, because wow. one they're, they're going on deployment but uh, yeah I mean I, I don't want to discourage some people who were part of the TAPS program I guarantee you they were good people but that doesn't mean that the system could give two rips about you if you're on the way out because you might as well be a loss of investment to them at that point right and that's what I hear from a lot of veterans is they feel like you're used and you're abused while you're in the service and then when you get out it's they basically discard you and like you said you're not really a you're not really worth anything to them anymore and it's such a sad thing to think about because 
of how many years people have put in to serve the country and to see how veterans are even viewed and treated when they get out is really disturbing to me. You know, when even when it comes to them even just using benefits that they've been entitled to, they feel like they have to pull tooth and nail just to get those benefits. And then they have to go through the stigma behind it of, you know, oh, well, you're just trying to, you know, you know, uh, basically suck every penny out of the out of the government or they, they just and that's how some people in society view them as, well, you're just trying to you're just out for it for the benefits. And, and to me, it's no, those were what they were, you know, promised. That's what they're entitled to. If you serve your country, this is what you get for doing so. And it shouldn't we should not be having anyone viewing them that way and uh, it's sad when you hear about how many people and just how long the, the the process takes just to get claims approved or even just looked at and uh I talked to one person who said so the exact same thing that you were talking about that once you're on your way out there's no one that's going to sit with you and actually mentor you through it and help navigate you through things, what to look for, what services to look for. And yeah, it's like you said, you're just, you're given the boot and and that's the end of it. I don't want to make that a total blanket statement because there's, there's a, a belief that this is everybody. No, trust me. I live in the state of Texas and Texas is actually very good at welcoming veterans home. I can tell you that it just comes down to the way that we're treated when we return is wonderful. It really is. It's kind of one of those, a lot of people want to make up for what happened in Vietnam and how they didn't get their welcome home. And since 9-11, that, that mentality of America has shifted, and especially Texas. So I will tell you that from people coming home that mean well, that are not involved in the VA or something like that, they're very welcoming. But that's the problem is when the dust settles. Right. And you have... Flash and you have flashbacks, or you have dreams, or you have something that can upset you. I'll, I'll use that as an example in a minute, just because when people don't know how to help you, they legitimately go, Well, isn't that what the VA is for? Let me tell you, the VA is so ineffective, it's laughable. But right. it just comes down, to, it just comes down to what I carry, and I'll I'll give you make it personal for everybody on here. I don't want to personalize it too much, but um to this day, I've been out since 2010. And probably at least once a week, if not more, I'm still having dreams that I am back on the ship or like I've, I've left my job at school because I have to go and get on my ship or I am not prepared and I've not packed anything and we're about to leave on a six month deployment. Or I've had to tell, to tell my wife, hey, I've got to go back and get something and I'm back on the ship there's still even imprisonment that happens in my own dreams that still haven't gone away to this day. And does that mean that I'm not battling it and not going through it? No, it just, this is just me being honest that we all have different demons that we have to face. And sometimes the only way to really find the medicine for that is to make sure we're not denied chances to be with our brotherhood. So no offense. I I'm, I'm very thankful to everybody that wants to be a voice for veterans. And it's kind of like, we need a lot more because the few voices that we've got, it's still kind of the equivalent of a mouse fighting a gorilla. But if you have 
more and more people that are finally talking about it. And all of a sudden it makes its way to the steps of the white house or of Congress. Then all of a sudden, maybe some changes that need to happen will happen. But I'm just glad that we're having a chance to kind of bring it up here. But yes, that's my own personal experience is we're given the kick out the door. We're given paperwork that's called a DD-214. Make that work for you. And, you know, I was able to use my benefits to go back to school. And I do not owe the uh, college that I went to. I don't owe them a dime. So I don't have any student loans. But let me tell you, that came with a lot of different setbacks and heartaches on waiting on the government to do their part to send me my post 11 GI bill or my yellow ribbon program, because there would always be some kind of setbacks and I'd have to go get a part-time job. When I was the day that I graduated from uh, the university, I went straight to work that afternoon, making sure that not only I was covered, but that I could make sure that I have enough for myself to, you know, continue on. So let me tell you, you know, you, you are, you're well taken care of in the military if you rub shoulders with the right people. Right. And that just is, it's frustrating because it, it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be about who, you know, it, it shouldn't really be based off of that. It's, and I think that's why a lot of, um, I know, again, I reference airmen, but you know, they say that it's, uh, it doesn't matter how hard you work or how well you do at your job you can be the best of the best and you can do all things the right way by the books and you're sticking by your moral, you know, well, they don't care about the moral part of it, but I mean, it's, but then they're not even looked at twice for, for promotions or other opportunities that everyone else does just because they're not part of that, that group. And I don't know. Yeah, you're right. I mean, what I was just about to say, I don't know what it's going to take, but you're right. It's going to take a lot more voices. And, and part of the, the setbacks that I'm, I'm personally experiencing is that I have a flood of information that has been sent to me from airmen or former spouses or veterans, but there's not a whole lot of substance when it just comes from me sometimes because any any person listening can say oh well I heard you know Lisa say this once well you know where's the validity behind it where's the how can you verify that and but what is the biggest setback is that there's so much fear you you mentioned you mentioned this earlier that there are some leaders that just thrive off of instilling so much fear into into service members and it's so strong that even though you can go to an airman and say uh at the dod level they'll say we have these surveys that we're sending out through the email you know fill them out it's all anonymous they are still terrified of doing them because they don't trust the system they don't trust that it's actually going to be anonymous there's 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 ways they say, Lisa, there's ways that they'll tie that back. And we don't fall for it. We we don't do these surveys because we're scared that they're going to be able to link it back to us. And then, then we're in trouble. And I just, yeah. I kind of yeah. want to understand why is it like that? It's horrible to to hear how much people fear just speaking up and, and saying, yeah. 
Yeah, unfortunately, it is. And again, all what I can do is just give you a perspective from um, from a Navy standpoint. And I've always also told people because I get asked this all the time by kids since I'm a teacher now. It's not like they're going to pull me out of the classroom and put me back in, in as a 39 year old out of shape guy that's gained asthma since he's come back to Texas. I say that jokingly because I did when I came back to Texas, just kind of the allergies that triggered it all. But in so many ways, they ask me about which ones are the toughest. And I always go, there's not one branch they can't do without the other. But let me just say, physically, if you're going off of a boot camp perspective, then the, the Marines would technically be because it's a 13-week program and how active it is. Mentally, I always tell them it's the Navy. And they, and they go, why? And I say, because you have time to think about it. And I can honestly tell you there was a time when I was working on my ship and we were working – easily 18 19 hour days we were lucky if we got four hours of sleep and it was such a a physical and emotional drain on us so much oh yeah because we were working in the in the kitchen because you have out uh, over and i say that because on in on a normal day on a ship when it's in port you just have breakfast lunch and dinner you don't have that when you are underway out to sea you have breakfast lunch dinner and then you have what's called mid rats midnight rations for people that are standing watch from 10 o'clock till four o'clock in the morning or two o'clock to six o'clock in the morning. And they need to be able to eat because they get trained out by watch. Well, we only had so many people that could work in the kitchen and we didn't have the manpower. So, and our, like I said, our senior chief enjoyed running our division with fear. And so he enjoyed making our lives that miserable working those kind of hours. But, you know, again, my dad even asked that one time when I told him on the phone, how long we were working, he said, is that legal? And I said, I guess in the regular world it would be, but what's that going to do in the military? You know, but to answer that is, you know, with the longer hours, it was such a beat down at some point. This was in 2007. I don't remember where we were, but I remember that I was out on the deck and there was nobody around and the, the ship was rocking and rain was coming down. And I remember being so beat down that I looked to the side where the weather decks were. And I just stared into the distance. I stared into the abyss and the thoughts flooded my head of if I jumped over the ledge right now, nobody would notice until the next morning. They wouldn't know where I was or where to find me in time. There were no spotlights. And is this a possibility? I really did have those thoughts go through my head, Miss Lisa. Now, again, I didn't go through with it, and I'm not saying that to um, get any sympathy on my part. I'm really not. I'm just telling it like it is. And I went back in and faced the rest of the day and made it through until we got to port, you know, where we can enjoy our individual liberty. Because that's another thing is when you are off in the military, they call it liberty. And even that can be interrupted at any time because, once again, you're under contract. You are government property. And if the as it says in the Sailor's Creed, and I will obey the orders of those appointed over me. The fair treatment of all is at the bottom of that creed. So it will always be, this allows for people who are bullies, who wear the rank, to be able to hide behind it. Wow. Yeah. And Just an honest story there. Oh yeah, absolutely. And over the the four years that you were in, 
and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but um, I'm just curious, do you have an estimation or an idea of how many people did you lose or hear about with suicides? Uh, do you have an idea of how many? Well, yeah, the, the one that's confirmed. Yeah, the one that's confirmed would be the chief master at arms. As far as how many were attempted, I, I couldn't tell you that one. But let me let me put it out here. This is a free plug because I don't mind putting him out here. I have a gentleman that was on my ship that I want you one day to meet that I want to be on your podcast and I want his story to be heard on this podcast and be heard in your community. And his name is Daniel Hurd. Okay. Everybody that's listening, I want y'all to find the link or Google it, or I can, we can put the links out here. I want you to find ride with Dan USA. I want everybody to hear me when I say this, because Daniel Hurd was a sailor on my ship on the USS Pearl Harbor. And this gentleman has been on my podcast more than, more than once he's been in my home and we've recorded together and he attempted suicide three times. Now I don't know if those were during the military, which allowed him the chance to escape from his demons. But let me tell you, he rode his bike across America to raise suicide awareness. Specifically it started for veterans, but then he made a blanket of anybody who needed the chance to be able to hear it. He wanted to break the stigma and he was able to ride across all 48 states and stayed with people like myself, stayed where churches would sponsor him. He stayed in his tent many times that he would set up there at a local park, wherever he could. And he literally rode that bike every day. And every mile that he would ride would be in honor of somebody who lost their life to suicide. So could I tell you the attempts? No, but I can tell you for sure. He attempted three times before he took this ride that changed my life, made me a better person, and he is riding, and still to this day in Colorado, the, the ride is over. He's completed that, but his mission is not. It's called the One Pedal at a Time Movement, and he will still ride through the streets of Colorado and through the mountains of Colorado if he knows of somebody who has committed suicide. The least he can do is fight the pain, and the least he can do is do that in their memory. So once again, everybody on here, Google Ride with Dan USA. And one day, Miss Lisa, Daniel Hurd needs to be on your podcast and needs to talk more about suicide awareness with you. And the One Pedal at a Time movement should definitely merge with Miss Lisa's mission. Wanted to put that out there. Easy plug. Proud to do it. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That is, that's incredible. And like you said, we do need a lot more people uh, with stories like this to be heard. I, and that's why I've been, well, this is why I've been doing this. And and honestly, this is what really encouraged me to take it a step further was exactly what you just talked about. What were the stories that I heard from veterans out on that bridge? And yes, the, these stories are, they're real. They're, <sighs> And I just wish people would would change their mindset. The military, by a long shot, has a long ways to go in changing how they see how they see all of this. They need to start seeing it yes. as as a strength for people to overcome 
obstacles in their life and to see it as a strength for them to use that to help others and not to tear them down, not to find ways to pick at someone's life and, and make it worse for them just because they were simply asking for help. And that was something that really came to light when I talked with Sean Page. He's a veteran here in Minot. And he said, I will never forget when I asked for help, how much they would nitpick every little thing that I did. They would almost try and find ways that I was going to screw up and then they could turn it around and use it against him. It's, oh, yeah. Yeah. It, Unfortunately, yes. And it's, he, he brought up, and, and I've seen this a lot too, The uh, it, when I talked with Morgan too, they basically really set, gave the example of how the military responds to it. They they almost respond to it with a sense of, of narcissism where it's they yep. still see the service member as the problem instead of taking accountability and taking a step back to reflect on what kind of policies do they have in place that are actually detrimental or hurting service members more than actually helping them. And it's, I'm convinced, and I put this on my, I think it was on one of my TikToks, I said, you know, the, the DOD could be in a room full of people with, with doctorates in any type of field, like social work, psychology, human services, and they could be talking about how, uh, how harmful the culture is, and, and they still wouldn't they wouldn't not that they wouldn't believe them it's just they 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 hear all this stuff and they still don't make any change make drastic changes or want to admit where they're where they're going wrong and i think that's i'd appreciate the if they just admit that they don't know what to do i would yeah. appreciate them just saying we don't know how to tackle this yeah. i'd appreciate that more instead of finding ways to belittle them yeah or to consistently come up with new programs that aren't very different from whatever programs are already in place they see it as just again it's being more reactive than it is being preventative and being preventative would be them looking at themselves and saying okay we have a problem here like you said the first step is to admit yes we messed up what we've been doing has not been working what can we do from here on out it's it's always put on the service member. It's always put on everybody else. It's not, yeah. I, I like how you said that because that is the perfect way to put it. Um, Unfortunately, and again, like I said, it's one of those, I, I, I don't want to highlight every negative that there's, if there is because sure. once again, I will tell you personally that one of the best things I ever did was go into the Navy. But also one of the best things I ever did was get out of the Navy because once I did, they no longer had any power or control over me. And now mm -hmm. they can't censor me because here we are on a podcast and I'm not afraid of what I'm saying. Right. What do you think it's going to take for? I've mentioned how I, I would really like to see some kind of uh, protections in place for an, 
for service members. So Task and Purpose put out a an article talking about how you know Chief Bass she had you know tried to set up an initiative um, for mental mental health and the initiative didn't really take off. I mean, I don't think anyone has even heard about it when I've asked about it. No one even knows this thing exists. But what the the author of that article was talking about, he was saying that that initiative should have been putting together some form of like a bill of rights, looking at everything that's going wrong with service members seeking help and how they're treated poorly. And it obviously it, it was nothing about that whatsoever. But it's frustrating to know that our service members who serve our country to allow us those freedoms to speak up, can't even speak up for themselves. It, there's gotta be some way that the DOD can, uh, I know that you, they can go through, I think the IG um, and, and file a complaint to, with concerns and stuff, but that doesn't seem to be working. It doesn't seem to be enough for people to feel safe and comfortable doing so. Well, to be honest with you, in many ways, my answer to this might seem so simple yet so profound. And you were mentioning about uh, the amendments to the Bill of Rights. Let's put it this way. A Bill of Rights is an amendment to the Constitution. The Constitution can be amended. It's just a lengthy process. Are there things in the oath of enlistment and things that are in the military that can be amended? They can and should be to where it can be more applicable to today. But I'll tell you where a lot, if you're going to reach a mass audience on where this change is going to have to happen, I think you're going to have to do it. We're doing it in a small way by using podcasts and by using TikToks and by using YouTube and using things that are easily accessible to people. But what I believe would have to happen is somebody with a huge budget who is, who's got the, I guess you can say the... I'll say it, cojones, to do it, there would need to be a motion picture that is on the same level and the same marketing as the freaking Barbie movie of showing what these military, while they're enlisted, go through. And, I'm, and part of it is, I'm not just saying there hasn't been some that have done that. You know, you could take your men of honors, you can take your Annapolis, you can take many things. If you're going to get people on a mass audience kick them in the gut in the movie theater. And I say that because I remember when something like, for instance, The Passion of the Christ came out. You see how quickly people started flocking to churches after they saw this. I'm not saying this is the end-all, be-all, but if you want to get someone's attention, it would have to be some type of a mass motion picture out of either Hollywood or some documentary or somebody who's willing to really open up their pockets and really put together a movie like this to where people walk away and going, we can't accept this for, for our military anymore. Because once again, I say this again, they're very good at welcoming veterans home. But when the dust settles and we face our inner demons, they literally don't know what to do. And they don't, and it would have to end with things like resources. I'll get you another example, that song, Five Finger Death Punch, when they did Wrong Side of Heaven, if you watch the whole thing, they put in that song at the very end, after all the statistics about veterans or even military programs that are out there that are meant to help. 
So I think if you're going to change things, you can't change it from the inside. You're going to have to have external stimuli that comes in masses demanding the military to change it. So who out there has the um, who, who has the backbone and who has the money to put up a huge motion picture and really catch people's attention and then let's see how quickly things change. Right. Um, Sean Page had reached out to me. He is actually finishing his degree in, in um, uh, media production. And he had mentioned uh, trying to put together a type of like documentary, even just on, on Netflix. And yeah, that too. And uh, I kept thinking, you know, but because the military, well, someone had mentioned, well, what if you did, you know, a type of like a undercover type of um, experiment or, you know, and I said, well, that's going to be really hard yeah. because one, getting through the DOD is going to be very hard to even get them to approve right. of someone going in to do the quote unquote dirty work to dig all this up. Um that's never going to happen. Plus, you're, you're not going to get away with someone necessarily impersonating a service member. But honestly, there's... Right, they'll notice the stolen valor right away. Yeah. Right, and, and to, to see it for what it really is, to see what happens behind closed doors, um, it I, I don't see how that's ever really going to be possible. And that's why I've, I've, I've been having to take stories from service members and veterans and talk about it and put it out there because uh, there's no way for them to to go public with it. Not not as long as they're yep. wearing the uniform, they can't. Um, and then by then, when they get out, the problem is is well, who's going to go back and how are they going to um, show proof of that? How are they going to be able to be credible just in their own story because people people are very right. very judgmental when it comes to stuff like this because the first thing people say is well where's your proof where's your evidence on this and yeah, so for evidence. me i'm thinking yeah exactly it to me i'm thinking um how can we um really get this yeah, I mean, you you went over it perfectly. It, it it's going to be much more than than what I'm doing. It, it's a it's a start. It's very small. It's it's local, which obviously yeah. needs to get yeah. you know regional and national levels too. But it's just sure. hard because they always have that upper hand. The DOD is always going to have that upper hand because they can hide things, they can cover things. They have probably some of the best. Rep I would assume best representation with you know attorneys and it's such a huge organization to go up against and and i know it's it seems impossible but i i think you hit it right on the nail with finding someone out there that's willing to distinguish themselves from every from everybody else and not care about how people are going to think of them and say no we're, we're about saving lives we're about figuring out why our service members are taking their lives um and you know i've been trying to push that narrative with leadership dod officials which one of you are going to set yourself apart from everybody else and say you know what i'm not going to care about that next promotion or that next rank i'm caring about doing what is 
truly right and what is actually aligning with what they boast about in their core values yeah. of the enlisted structure. It's right there and none of it is actually being uh, done. <laughs> well, I shouldn't say none of it exactly. is, but the ones when it comes no. to overall well-being of service members, it's absolutely not being done. Right. Right. The ones that do right are the ones are getting drowned out by the majority. Yeah. Because they're automatically yeah. looked at as you're not one of us. You're stepping out of line. You're stepping outside of oh, yeah. the routine. And therefore, now you're looked at as a target. And they yep. quickly oust you and then make you look like you're not uh, reliable or trustful or uh, trusting. Um, and that's a big thing, too, because once they don't feel like they can trust you, you're 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 screwed. <laughs> yeah, uh, because you no longer have power and control over this one. But again, there's always that that hurt. Are we men? Are we are we sheep? You know, you, you count on the sheep, but here's that black sheep you weren't counting on, and they're usually the minority. It's just interesting that we have years and years of these stories, and to me, I just keep thinking back. It's all somewhere down the line whether it's just that the power um the power trip that the the military has in general with leadership or look at the money who keeps who keeps the alcohol culture thriving who keeps the, you know the the mental beatdowns and the like you said the 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 treatment of our service members like they're just a number and they're just a they're their thing they're not actual an actual human being it's no wonder they struggle once they get out in, into the, the the quote unquote the real world um and that to me is is really eerie to think about it, i mean really no one's life should be so dramatically changed like that in a in a negative way that it has a grip on them for so many years after even getting out of the military. It is, I don't think, so there's some people in society that think, well, service members should just be able to transition. Like, you know, why is it so difficult for them to, to adapt? <laughs> and, That's really easy to say, you know, yeah. let's talk to my inner veteran monologue a little bit and talk about that one about, you know, yeah. and this is why I keep telling you that for us to be able to heal in many ways, we do need to have time with our brotherhood. But a lot of times, if you do that, that me and time to our brotherhood usually does include guys that are veterans or that are active military and they are going to the bar. So it's one of those, we're begging for other opportunities to put, to put the bottle down at least to a moderate level and get you at the shooting range where you can do skeet shooting to get you to the ax throwing where you're doing that to where you guys go on a rafting trip down the Colorado river or something to that extent. Or if you're going to guitar center, cause you all love to play guitar and just jam out over there or something like that. There are other avenues that these guys can go on, but so frequently, I don't think they, they do it on purpose. I think a lot of times that's inadvertent because it's so ingrained in the culture and the tribal mentality that for oh, yeah. us to have a good time, we've got to have a bottle. And unfortunately, that is a hard, hard, ha habitual way of thinking that would have to be broken over time. Yep. It, so my my other question, too, because I've done a lot of a lot of military history research over the last couple of years, 
And when I start looking at the other federal agencies, I have I have called and it felt weird because I when I make these calls to some of these other agents, I was like the Department of Education. It it I got the runaround just trying to find someone to to answer my question for me. But then I, I also got a hold of someone at the Department of Agriculture, just to name a few. And they were literally just almost appalled with my question. And my question to them was, well, do you guys have a set of policies that have been implemented that allow you guys to drink on the job or to have alcohol stored in your workplace? And it, it was just dead silent. And, and they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, do you, are you guys allowed to have alcohol in your workplace? Do you get um, a, a minimum amount of hours each week or maximum number of hours that you can go drink? And and they said, no, of course not. That that would never be allowed. We, we, we do not have anything that would um, make that permissible. And I said, okay. And then I explained what my research project is. But if you look at all the other agencies, not a single one of them other than the DOD is allowed alcohol at the workplace. Why is that? Right. Well, here's my answer to that one is if they're appalled, it's probably because of one of two things. It's probably because one, that isn't something that is productive to the workplace because that's something you would do outside of work hours. And you would think that would be something that's common sense. And I'm speaking from a guy from Texas but also, I've also worked at different jobs where I have seen people that have snuck it in. And I'll, I won't say it, but there was a time I briefly worked for an insurance agency for a short period of time. And there was a guy who was there who was in what's called the, quote, war room. And he certainly was given a pass on having a case of beer on a Friday afternoon. Why? Because he was getting sales done. So all I mean by that is on paper, um, by the legalities and by the policies, I would guarantee you most places would look and go, that's absurd. But on your off hours, then sure, because I'm in education and I remember going to a Christmas party this year with my wife. I won't say what school she's with, but I remember seeing the gift exchange, the white elephant gifts that they did. Half of them were either something really cute. Um, I don't think they were Stanley Cups. I don't think they were in there, but some type of drinking <laughs> coffee mug of some sort, you know, was in there. But there would be a little bottle of something that would be included and the principal will make the joke of, I still expect to see y'all at school on Friday. Don't you call me for a substitute. I knew you were here, you know, and th right. that was still kind of kind of laughed off. But my answer to that is very much a broad statement of in America, when people are told not to do something, and you know, as an American history teacher, I can back this up. When people are told not to do something, people find a way. So right. my answer to that on the simplest terms is people can find a way. It may not be allowed. It might be frowned upon. But how do you truly know if it's not happening? Right. So. It would take, it goes back to, it would go back to leadership. It would go back to supervisors who yes. actually will um, uphold those and actually see the benefit both on a, on a company level, you know, reputation wise, production yes. um, um, perspective, but also the health and well-being of their employees. And so, yeah, it's, it's going to go back to, you're going to might have someone that's like, okay, I'm okay with that. And another person that just says, nope, we're, we're not doing this at all. Um, and you're right. Yes. To most place workplaces, they're not going to openly admit that they do, 
they're going to say, well, on paper, our through HR or through our handbook, of course, yeah. it's not allowed. We're, we don't, that would not be okay. But from my perspective is, is if we allow one federal agency to do it, what's to stop the other agencies from even as crazy as it sounds, but petitioning to right. say, well, the DOD gets to drink on the job, then why can't we? And that begins a ripple effect. Yeah. And not that I'm, I'm, I'm in no way advocating. I'm just the other side of it is right. what's stopping the other agencies from doing that. And what would actually happen if all of a sudden all these agencies are allowed the same uh, freedoms with alcohol that the military or military is. And to me, I still don't understand why it's such a prevalent thing as it is just knowing the back history um, of how devastating alcohol was when you look at World War One, World War Two, and how there was this, like, I use your words, a ripple effect of how many other ways alcohol was implemented into the workday or into traditions and, and their culture. And yet, we can throw out all these statistics about losing what about 35,000 veterans since post 9-11 wars to just suicide alone. In 2021, yes. we lost 6,400 veterans, just veterans in one year. Right. And we have the number yeah, you of do the math. Yeah. But it it still does not change anything. It 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 it. No. To me, it's like one of the biggest scandals of manufactured addictions in American history, to be honest, because growing up, whenever I would talk to someone that was in the military or knew somebody in the military, the most common thing I ever heard was, oh, yeah, that person could drink. That person was an alcoholic. My my uncle was in the army and he was a very severe alcoholic and how that continues to cycle itself. Um and, and until changes are made that the new generation is just going to be picking up the same habits like you said in a habit that's extremely hard to break it right if you want to go back further in american history you can actually find that people who were building the erie canal to be able to cope with that the workers were drinking on the job uh, just holding shovels over their head when the explosions would happen so it's been going yeah. back a while yep nope you're right that's right and you're you're right about that it's but when you think of modern times and how you you think of the government the federal government and how you know it's it's a prestigious thing right you know to to work for the federal sure. government is a prestigious thing in itself but yet the military is still just separated as it's almost like its own entity um and probably because the amount of employees that that organization has is probably more than what the Department of Agriculture or Education would have. Maybe, I don't know. I'd have to look into that actually, but it's, it, yeah, it's just a, there's a lot to, to dig up and unpack with all of this, but it just, right. I don't understand who is, this much convenience by the number of suicides and, and deaths uh, either from DUIs or, you know, and yet it's still just something that they push and push and push. 
and and they continue to to get away with it even though you have organizations you know like uh mothers of um uh veteran suicide and stop soldier suicide you have all of these organizations that and and people like dan who who you who who you mentioned about earlier yes who are and with every ounce of their their body is empowered by this and wanting to change things in the worst way yet the people who need to hear it just continue to to turn turn away from it yeah they've either got their head in the sand or they got their head up their rear end or both yep. you pick <laughs> yep yeah well i hope that's helpful to you miss lisa oh absolutely one perspective from out there Yes, it absolutely was. And I always appreciate times that we get to talk. And like I said, you've been a, a huge uh, support to me and very encouraging. And I look up to you in a lot of ways. I I hope you know that. And I hope that, you know, through this as well, that a lot of other people out there listening will will see you as a as a great role model too that's the whole point is to to get stories out there and for people to hear it and to be inspired by it and to know that there there are people out there that have struggled and and been through that same experience and that their life can move on and and be something great yet and and i think you're 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 doing that absolutely well i do appreciate it and like like i said it's I don't want to personalize it too much. It just, it does feel good and it, it is therapeutic and healing to share my testimony and a few other observations I made along the way. But ultimately what matters the most is we cannot accept anymore. We cannot. And for those that have already been affected by it, I send my prayers, I send my thoughts, I send my condolences. And this is a small part of hopefully some big changes in the future that we will see because their memory will always be be cherished and honored. And like I said, as Daniel Hurd would say, we're going to take it one pedal at a time until we see the changes that are needed. And so with that, you have my regards. You have everything from one veteran to the rest of the world out there that's listening. Hope you'll take time to appreciate this podcast for what it is. And keep listening to Miss Lisa as she puts out more content for you. And she can you know, eventually will publish that book. And there will be many more um, things on social media that are out there that are very much to bring about the changes that are absolutely needed because you are loved and you are honored. And we cannot accept one more. Absolutely. There you have it. All right. Well, thank you, Brian. And I will definitely reach out. I'm sure I'm going to have you on here. A couple times yet because I love talking with you and you always have really great insights. So you are welcome to reach out, Miss Lisa, anytime. All right. Thank you. Bye.